This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Holly Oxhamler, welcome to Viral Jesus. We have to be paying attention to what is happening within us as we go and serve others um, so that, A, our service comes from this place of a grounded awareness and really a, a, a sense of discernment of what is mine to do. Like, what did God put me in this place right now to do and to trust that it's enough? Like, I think that's really important for helpers too, because helpers tend to want to keep going and doing and serving and helping and giving, and then they're really at risk of burnout. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections, where we talk to some of the most influential Christian content creators to find out how they've made their faith go viral. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Hello, friend. I hope you are well. We had a snowstorm last week in Michigan, so I was cocooned inside my house for several days next to my fireplace. I did make some really great meals for my family, and my best friend came over from Detroit, and so I fed her like this Thanksgiving feast. (laughs) Oh my goodness, you are going to love today's conversation with Holly Alexandler. I have known her for a few years, and we've talked for at least a solid year about her coming on the pod, and I am so glad we were finally able to get a time for her to do this. But first, I told you last week, I've been barefoot in my kitchen, just cooking up a storm lately. The Instagram algorithm just keeps like sending me recipe videos. And I've honestly, I've never been happier. So for the month of January, I'm talking to celebrity chef Danielle Cardis and asking her to help us make dinner. The recipe will always be linked in the show notes. If you just love Danielle and you want me to keep bringing her on from time to time when she's free, leave a review or send me a DM. But this segment is called Friends in the Kitchen with my friend, celebrity chef, Danielle Cardis. I am just loving this new segment we're doing, Friends in the Kitchen. It's with my real-life friend, Danielle Cardis. She's a comedian, a chef, a speaker. She's an author. Her latest cookbook, you can get it. Click the link in the show notes. It'll be right underneath the recipe that we talk about today. The book is called Butter, Flour, Sugar, Joy. You have got to pick it up. You may recognize Danielle from The Kelly Clarkson Show where you share, is it like the same recipes you share with us? Are we basically the same thing as Kelly? You're totally the same thing as Kelly. You're getting the same (laughs) level of recipes, the same level of enthusiasm, and the 
same level of Jesus. <laughs> okay, Danielle, I want to talk today because one of the number one things women ask me is, I don't have a best friend or I don't know yeah. how to make friends. And I, yeah. I think it's interesting because you and I, we kind of like hit it off. I mean, when hit we it met, it was very quick that we just looked each other in the eyes and said, yeah. it's you. You are the one I've been waiting on. How is like making friends for you usually? Is that hard? How do you recommend people do it? Oh, it's so hard. And then sometimes people <laughs> want to be your friend and they want to just talk about random things. And you're like, oh my gosh, I'm having a really wild and hard day. But yes, I will absolutely tell you how to make your soup. <laughs> you know, so making friends is always Was difficult. that like a cliff note to me? Was that, were shots just no. fired? Like you're having a hard day. You don't want to talk to me about quesadillas today? Oh no, this is the coolest part ever because when you and I met, it was like this instant, you know when you meet people and it's not hard? Yeah. That is Heather Thompson Day. Aww. I'm serious. And sometimes I, you know, you meet people. I am the first one to say, like, I might work on television, but I'm socially awkward. <laughs> I might speak to thousands of people, but there is a touch of awkward in me. I mean, not just a touch, a lot. I am an extroverted introvert and my little battery gets drained and I love the corner. You better believe I love the corner. And what's so funny is when we were, we were at a conference, we're, we're meeting, we're talking, we're, we're jiving, we're praising the Lord. And then, you know, kinesthetic learners, I mean, anybody listening out there who knows, like you bounce your legs, you shake your sh shoulder, uh, you were bouncing your leg. And I remember we were kind of praying and it was this really tender moment. And, and I just wanted to make sure, are you okay? I touch you just gently. And, uh, you said, oh, I tooted. And I was like, oh yeah, you know what? It's a, it's a spiritual moment. We're tooting. We're, we're in the spirit. Uh, yes. Okay. We're there. We're best friends. And then I was cracking up and you, you, uh, clarified, I can't remember. You have to add this if it was in the moment or right after. And you said, no, right. I then. said, I do this. Yes. Cause you said to me, you go, Oh, Oh, you tooted. I said, what? <laughs> I said, well, I think I was crying. Like we were worshiping. <laughs> Carrie Job is singing. We, we are worshiping. And I, I look at you. I'm like, what? Yes. No, I didn't too. What are you yep. talking about? And I'm like, I thought you just let me know in a tender, intimate moment, you were tooting. You were, you were passing gas and you were like, heck no. I said, I, said, I do this. I just do this, meaning shake my leg. But you know what? It brought us yes. closer. The awkwardness brought us closer. It did. And then we went right right into breakout sessions. And I remember sharing that with a, a, a room of 500 women. Thank you and for that. By there the was way. an eruption of laughter because we, this is the thing we want to cut all through the noise and we want friends that you can say, Hey, I tooted with. <laughs> and maybe, maybe tooting isn't your love language. Maybe you want to get down and dirty and be like, Oh my gosh, look at this meme I had this day. I was super weird to the checkout lady at the grocery store. We're looking for that level of intimacy. Yeah. How do you do it? I think number one, you pray and ask God for it. There is no mm. secret sauce. And sometimes God really sets us apart. I can remember so many times in my life where I felt like very lonely, no friends, and God just really quickened in my heart like, hey, this is what I got for you right now. And you have to kind of learn to lean on Jesus. And Danielle, I'm going to say at the moment that you and I met, we were both looking for a relationship like what we have right now. And 100%. so, and God heard those prayers. Okay. What are, what's, what are we making today? Friends in the kitchen. Oh what gosh, are we making? You know what? We're going old school and super basic and we're making a quesadilla. You know what? Okay. In a dry pan gives you that crispy, crunchy. We're doing 
thick cheese, and then we're going to dip it in some guacamole and maybe some homemade salsa, maybe a pico de gallo. Do you got a little chulua? We're going to shake that all over the top. You're going to make your taco meat out of whatever you have. Uh, I love ground beef, ground chicken, ground turkey. If you're vegan, you can even do like this walnut crazy mixture. I mean, there's so many different fun things. I will not be providing the uh, recipe for the walnut mixture, but you can go crazy on the internet. (laughs) Uh, And then we're going to do some slaw next to it, like that delicious Mexican style coleslaw where it's cilantro, cabbage, lime juice. And you're really going to just dip that crispy, crunchy, cheesy, beefy quesadilla into the coleslaw. Mm. This dinner takes all of 15, 20 minutes. That's what I'm all about now. We want simple. We want fast. We want comforting and delicious. If you want the recipe, including, you're going to have the slaw mixture in the recipe? I am. It'll be there, friends. Click it. The link will be right here in our show notes. Danielle Cardis, thank you so much for being my friend in the kitchen. Such a pleasure. Let's get right into my conversation with Holly Oxhandler. Dr. Holly Oxhandler is the Associate Dean for Research and Faculty Development and an Associate Professor at Baylor University's Diana R. Garland School of Social Work. Holly studies religion, spirituality, health, and mental health. Her latest book is called The Soul of the Helper. You are going to love this. I'm so excited for you to hear it. Here is my conversation with Holly Oxhandler. Hi, Holly. So I like to open these conversations by reading back something that you've posted online. Now, this is coming from your Instagram. Here's what it says. Please don't underestimate the energy, emotion, Mm. and attention that healing requires. May you be Mm. gentle toward your own process of healing. I read that, and I feel like I'm in a state of of healing. Mm-hmm. I'm sure all of us are, right? We're, we're Healing is a mm-hmm. process. So we're constantly mm-hmm. in that process. Talk to yeah. me about how people often miss understanding how much energy this space actually does require of us. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad that you raised that quote. I feel like even hearing you read it right now is like, that's right. I need that reminder too, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I think for all of the ways that we tend to be so oriented to productivity and efficiency and getting things done and as quickly as possible so that we can get as much done as possible. Um, I think we lose sight at times of the slow work that healing requires and it's quiet work and it's not work that's celebrated and Mm. it does require energy and effort um, that, you know, that's okay. So if we're tired through seasons that we may be healing from various things that we've experienced um, individually or collectively, I think it's important for us to take note of that and and give ourselves grace of being like, well, it's okay if I'm not getting as much done right now hmm. because my energy is focused on these other things. And, and the emotion, carrying all those emotions, like that does require energy and effort. So extending grace to ourselves, I think is really important through those seasons of healing. Um, Knowing that healing does not have to look a certain way for any Mm. of us, right? And it can vary based on the experiences that we're recovering from or healing from, the people who are involved, the layers uh, that it 
touches on going all the way back to our childhood Hmm. should does not have a place in this process of healing and the time that it takes and the timeline. And um, yeah, I guess here's a question for you. How do we know or make space to acknowledge that we even need to Mm. be healed? Like, how do we know when we are healed from something or when this is this is a space I think in my life that's going to require more time. Yeah, I think it depends. It's different for each of us. So I will okay. start with a hefty dose of humility in recognizing that I cannot tell either you or any of our listeners, you know, what that is going to look like for each individual, not knowing, you know, the details of the experience. But I think this is where, and I know right before we hit record, I had nodded to your recent reflection that you did about being sheep and the shepherd and learning to listen to that voice and learning to tune into uh, what that voice is is nudging us to do throughout our journey. And I think that includes our healing process. Mm. And so I think those opportunities to lean into, I mean, I, I talk and write quite a bit about like contemplative practices that offer that space to really tune into the discernment of what is going on within my body, um, what is going on within my heart, within my soul, uh, within my mind, with my relationships? How do I navigate not only what I'm currently having to walk through, but the things that I have navigated in the past? And you know, perhaps there are things I've navigated in the past that I've repressed or set aside mm. um, that I really do need to carefully create space for and advocate for the space and energy that that healing requires. Again, knowing that it could look different for each of us based on whatever it is that we have carried and navigated throughout our own unique journeys of the human condition. But we've each had to navigate something. So creating that space, I think, is important. And I think discernment and contemplative practices that allow us to tune in to what is going on within our own inner landscape as it relates to our mental health journey, our faith journey, you know, our physical experiences, all of that belongs. I want to ask you a question, just assuming that there is somebody else that is going to hear this question and say, okay, I've been there and now I know what to do after listening to Holly's response. So I told you before we hit record, I had just had what we'll call a crucial conversation. Yeah. (laughs) I heard, I heard, listener, I don't know if this has ever Mm -hmm. been you, but I heard my voice elevate. I was not telling it to, I was not, I didn't, I I thought I was in control. And then I heard this louder voice come out of me that I said, oh no, like you are, you're losing control of your own Mm. body in this conversation. I'm at work. Okay. Holly, what does somebody do? They just get in a conversation with somebody at work. They hear their Mm -hmm. voice elevate. They recognize that their heart is going faster. They get to go back to their office. What do you tell them? What would be a contemplative practice that they could do right then at work? Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, thank you for sharing your experience. And I really want to elevate that this is a practice. So in social work, when I talk with my students about self-awareness or, you know, this work around tuning in, it is a practice. Hmm. So our our listeners, like to you and to our listeners, um, you know, I could give one and I will, I'll give some different things to be thinking about or integrating or embodying. 
and it's a practice. So mm-hmm. it's not going to be the first time you walk out of that crucial conversation that you're like, I'm going to do that one thing and it's all going to be fixed. It's not. We have to regularly and consistently show up to these contemplative practices that begin to allow us to be self-aware, to even notice. So for you, Heather, to even have noticed in that crucial conversation that your voice was elevated, there are, you know that there are folks who they don't recognize that when that happens because, right? Because you're at least paying attention to that. Um, So I think finding ways to and I write about this quite a bit in the book, in The Soul of the Helper, um, these ways in which we can create space for stillness and silence and solitude for us to, you know, if you walk out of that conversation, to create space to practice deep breathing. I mean, even just starting okay. there, where you would breathe in to a count of four um, and then exhale to a count of six. I know some people will talk about holding your breath at the top of it. And I, I personally would discourage that, especially for those who struggle with anxiety because Mm. holding your breath, it's not helpful. You you need to kind of let it go. So breathing into a count of four, breathing out to a count of six, doing that a few times just to return to the present moment. Um, just to return to your body, to reconnect with the breathing that you're engaged in and to create space for you to reflect on what just happened. Um, yeah. Why Why did I elevate my voice? To get curious, to create space, to be curious. I mean, I have this sign behind me that it's from Ted Lasso, the be curious, not judgmental. Um, mm. And I think that that is not just for others, but also to ourselves. Um, so, so deep breathing, practicing curiosity. I write quite a bit in the book about centering prayer and could like riff on that for a long time, but I don't. And I'm, I'm, I want to hear all of it. I want to ask you first, going to the book, The Soul of the Helper, who is the helper? Talk to me about the title. Where did this come from? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the book and and this work, it really it originated from research that I had done with social workers and mental health care providers, and I I had found in my research um, around the intersection of faith and mental health that when mental health care providers are motivated to live out their faith from this grounded place, they tend to hold space for clients to talk about their faith. And they create that space in a more uh, welcoming, um, evidence-based way. And so this research, it started with mental health care providers. But as I dug into it more, I realized that this work is not just for mental health care providers, but helpers in general. Mm. And this sense that as helpers, and when I'm talking about helpers, I'm talking about really and truly, it's any of us. But more specifically, when we, I think about parents and mm. spouses and caregivers and teachers and podcast hosts and authors yeah. and anyone who is serving someone else in one way, shape, or form, even if it's volunteer work or faith leaders, any of that that work, we have to be paying attention to what is happening within us as we go and serve others mm. um, so that, A, our service comes from this place of a grounded awareness and really a, a, a sense of discernment of what is mine to do. Like, what did God put me in this place right now hmm. to do and to trust that it's enough, 
Like, I think Mm. that's really important for helpers too, because helpers tend to want to keep going and doing and serving and helping and giving, and then they're really at risk of burnout. Mm. And so, so these, these helpers, this is for each of us, but recognizing that we have to pay attention to what's going on within us as we serve so that that service truly meets um, and supports and actually helps those we're seeking to serve and that we don't cause unintentionally um, any additional harm in the work that we do. I'm interested to hear about how the centering prayer stuff that you talked about, everybody who listens knows it is so important to me to spend time every single morning. I get up at five and it is because so much, and I know you relate to this, probably a lot of our listeners relate to this. So much of my life is about other people. That's right. And so the morning for me is almost one of the only times of the day that it is like mm-hmm. me and God, and I'm totally focused on me. And mm-hmm. how get, fill me up with your spirit so that I yep. can go out and serve in the way, in the places, you know, be faithful to what you've given me. What yeah. do you suggest and what things you talk about in the book? You don't have to give it all away because, friend, we want you yeah, to buy right, it. We right, want right, you to right, buy right, the book right. and read it and yeah. be able to keep it and savor <laughs> these things truly. I have the book. I'm not just saying that. But what are some mm-hmm. tips you can give people as far as it, it goes to our spirituality? and centering ourselves. Yes, absolutely. So, so within the book, I'll at least say that I have these seven stages and I won't go into all the depth of them, but these seven stages are speed, slow, steady, still, see, shift, and serve. And the premise that is a kind of the base note underneath them is this recognition that helpers have to wake up to the speed at which they're operating that go, 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 go. Mm. And this goes back to that self-awareness, right? And needing to recognize like, what am I doing through my day? Um, so that they can begin to slow down, which is really hard for helpers. We then have to, yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you You are talking to me, sister. Yeah, keep going. I know. I hear you. I do. <laughs> um, so then learning, not only waking up to the speed, but learning to slow down, identifying those steadying structures because it is so hard to slow down. So we need that scaffolding to help us actually... Yeah rest a little bit in that, like to trust it so that we can actually become still, which again is so hard for all of us. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of reasons, we are, we are operating within a culture and society that just pushes us to go, go, go. And it's kind of like, like I use the analogy of, um, Remember, I don't know if you did this as a kid. I uh, like if you would be in an above ground pool and you'd like go around and around in circles and you'd create kind of that current. And then if you let go, right, if you kicked your feet up, it, the current would still carry you. Mm. And I think we've contributed to that current that keeps us going at a high speed pace. So we have to learn to be able to slow down and be still so that we can actually see the image of God within us, our inherent worth. Um, the sacred that is within us. And from that recognition of the image of God within us, I think that is when we can more accurately and and have a, a more attuned sense to be able to see the sacred within those around us. So we then shift with compassion, t- um, not only to ourselves, but those around us, and then serve from this place of recognizing like, Again, what is mine to do and what 
am I serving from so that I don't get to a place of burnout where I'm just serving beyond my capacity and my ability. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. I'm really interested. I had actually written this in my questions before we sat down, but I'm going to ask you now Mm because you just brought it up. You talk about that, that seeing the sacred within ourselves helps us see the Mm -hmm. sacred in others. And I'm I'm interested in that because I did an Instagram video, I don't even know how long ago, and I just said Mm -hmm. something about like loving your neighbor as yourself and how loving ourselves is how we then realize we have capacity to love others. And I got, I was so surprised because I didn't even realize this branch of Christianity existed, but Mm -hmm. I got people who were very upset with me saying Christianity Mm -hmm. teaches us not to love ourselves, which Mm -hmm. I was like, huh? Like I'd never heard these things. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's not Mm -hmm. even like some of these people were people I I do respect and I, they're wonderful people. So I'm not, it's fine. But talk to us about your thought process in this book, which you talk about that acknowledging the sacred within ourselves helps us see the sacred in other people. Why is that a true statement? Yeah, gosh, I'm so, thank you for that question, Heather. Like that's such an important question. So yes, I would say that I am aware that there are folks who have experienced uh, teachings, uh, maybe in their past or currently, that discourages a sense of loving ourselves. Um, and, And I write about that actually a little bit in the book as well. So I do get to that. Um, but when I am talking about loving ourselves, I'm not talking about loving our egos right? or those, par- those shadow parts of ourselves that we try to build up that just that false self, the idolatry, the ego, any of that, like that's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about loving ourselves, I am talking about coming home to ourselves with a recognition that we bear the image of God within Mm. us, that we are beloved as we are, that God created us with this sense of deep love and compassion um, and desire for us to appreciate the gift of our lives, Mm. like that we get to appreciate, we have this opportunity to love who God made us, not our ego, not the false self. But the fact that God made you, Heather, Heather, Hmm. and that God made me, Holly, and that there is this image of God within us, that divine spark, that sacred within, 
that's beyond comprehension. I think it's beyond words in a lot of ways, but it is something that is felt and experienced when we create that space to be able to experience that sacred love that God is offering us within. So I think that's, I mean, I want to emphasize that piece. And and also the fact that, you know, Jesus talks about this as well. And when he is calling us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love God with our whole hearts, minds, every part of who we are. But if we don't love ourselves, I don't know how we can really accurately love our neighbors well. Mm. I think that is, I think that that is what Jesus is getting at in that sense of love your neighbor as yourself. If you are criticizing yourself all day long, right? and I know because I've, I've been there and I know that several of us do it for different reasons and um, maybe we're carrying voices that we heard, you know, voices from uh, parents or mentors that we we heard those messages growing up. But that criticism trickles out to people that we love in ways that we may not mean for it to. Yeah. And so I do think it's work for us to pay attention to that and to actually practice loving ourselves, including the appreciation, the gratitude for the gift of this life, the recognition that we are beloved as we are, and that we're worth the love and care mm. that, you know, not not only that we give to other people, but but that we give to ourselves too. Hmm. Like that quiet time that you offer to yourself in the morning. Yeah. I want to read actually a excerpt here from your book. This is coming from a place where you're talking about going to therapy. And mm-hmm. you say this, nearly every week for the past four years, I visited his office, your therapist, and peeled mm-hmm. back the layers of wounding, some from childhood, some from adulthood. He's helped me unlearn the white knuckling people-pleasing, achievement-based strategies I've used to navigate this life. I I feel like I have a good pulse on on our community here with Viral Jesus. And I just know that that sentence there, he's helped me unlearn the white-knuckling, people-pleasing, achievement-based strategies I've used to navigate this life. I know that that sentence is sitting on somebody. Can you talk to us about about that sentence, yeah. why is because I think for a lot of us those felt like good things, right? I know oh, how to white yeah, knuckle through. They did. Oh yeah, people they did. pleaser. Right. I'm achieving. Right. Talk to us about right. why that might be something we want to sit with a little more. Yeah. Oh gosh, it's so good. There are a lot of ways in which we are receive accolades and affirmation and support for those behaviors, yeah. and our brains are wired in such a way where when we receive those accolades and affirmation and support and affection, um, our brain is like, oh, that that worked. That felt good. I'm safe because of the thing that I did. Like I got that feedback that I'm safe or I'm loved, you know, or there's a sense of security. And so I'm going to keep doing that. It's reinforced by those around us, even though I know that the people around us, they're not intentionally trying to reinforce those, right? right? Like, you know, when you come home with that good grade on a test and your parents are affirming that, they're not thinking, I'm affirming this with a sense of, you know, promoting a people-pleasing tendency. <laughs> that's not that's not it. We affirm it because we're like, good job. But, yeah. but there's just wiring within us that for some of us, that sticks more, I think. 
And so maybe that's what you're alluding to with thinking about some of those who are listening, where that may just have stuck a little bit more. And so when we continue to move through life and operate in a way where we have um, folks around us who are encouraging us to keep going in that pace and speed and way of being, when we have systems that keep us moving in that way of being, and when we feel a sense of like, this feels good doing this work, it's really hard to stop and slow down and to critically look at some of those behaviors. So to that sentence about my therapist, I want to put a note to say that For me, therapy has been crucial because Mm. of the healing work that I have needed to do. And for me to be more present as a mother, as a wife, as a colleague, as a teacher, an educator, a researcher, I know that showing up to my therapist's office is so important for me to be able to do the work that I need to do. Mm. That's just been part of my own journey and and recognition. I know that um, there are barriers at times to therapy, and I I don't want to discount that. Um, But I also want to empower listeners that if there are mechanisms by which you can identify a mental health care provider who you trust, who's licensed, um, and can provide that mental health support, that it is so important um, to do that that work. Um, but I have needed to continue to show up for my own healing and recovery journey. And again, it's it's so that I can be a better helper and and serve those around me without projecting my pain and wounds and hurt mm. that I've experienced. Um, and habits and all of those things. And so I'm very grateful that to have that provider hold that sacred space for me, again, to peel back those layers that, again, could have happened just within that last week. Like we certainly talk about things that have happened, you know, even that day. But right. then we do that work too of digging back to layers of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And it all belongs, it's all important within that work so that I can serve others well. As you're talking about years in therapy and how important that can be, I am curious, what are your thoughts on the intersection of mental health and social media that we're seeing so much Mm of the soundbite Mm -hmm. therapy that people now, I mean, you just know with like the the verbiage now that everybody has access to, and I'm I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just curious right. what right, your right, thoughts right, right. are on on the sound bites that we keep seeing online that then get shared. You're gaslighting me, like all these these terms now yeah. that are super prevalent. Any thoughts yeah. on on that intersection? Yeah. Oh gosh, that's such a great question. Not one. Um, I mean, I probably should have thought maybe you would be asking that at some <laughs> point, but. <laughs> But that's okay. No, I I think it's an important question. I think that there's a lot of discernment that goes both ways through what we're seeing happening. I would hope that there is careful discernment on the end. Like I really do think there has to be a lot of responsibility and careful discernment for the for those who are posting. Um, and and I, and I have practiced that um, not only in discerning what do I post. Who is this helping? How is this going to land? What what impact could this potentially have? Who is my audience? Mm. But then also really carefully thinking, where am I in the midst of this? And and mm. yeah, again, am I 
what are my underlying motivations for posting what I'm posting? Yeah. And how is any of my story woven into what I'm posting in a way that could either be helpful or harmful or both? So I think on the one hand, there is a hefty dose of responsibility that, you know, social workers' ethics are so deeply woven into what we do that that's just heavily, I think, at the forefront of that in general. For those who are receiving that content, I certainly want to encourage them to be thinking about, again, you know, who is posting this? What are their credentials? What's their background? Um, is it someone that you trust? Why do you trust them or not? Um, and then again, really carefully thinking about like, what is it that you are seeking from this space of social media and from this content? And um, as you carefully discern if it's something that, that that's important for you to be hearing or not or reading, um, I just, I know that it's a tricky space right now and it, it has been, right? It's, yeah. Um, and I do, I actually have a whole section in the book where I do write about social media usage and boundaries um, yeah. because personally there have been seasons where I have really wanted to use it as a tool to help share my research, knowing that folks are probably not going to be reading the academic journal articles that I'm publishing my research in. So I want it to be accessible and available. I want it to help those who I'm seeking to help. Um, And I have to be thinking about all of those layers to social media, the metrics, the layers that were a part of the development of social media and how it keeps us stuck. Yeah, You know, I, I write about Adam Altler's book, Irresistible, and... Um, I mean, I'm looking at iGen by uh, Jean Twenge right on my bookshelf over there. And, okay. you know, several, just several folks who, you know, Cal Newport has written on some of this around deep work, but just thinking about the development of social media and like, how do we create boundaries in a way where this really is a helpful tool and that we are A, not harming others through what we're posting to the best of our ability and B, making sure that we're not harming ourselves in the process, knowing that how sticky it is and how it, you know, it, it affects our mental health in a lot of ways in the, the ways that it rewires our brain, our focus, all of that. Holly K. Oxhandler is the author of The Soul of the Helper. Holly, I actually want to ask you this question because it goes so good with everything that we were just mm. talking about. Our show is called Viral Jesus. What do you mm. think it means? to be a Christian when you are online? Mm, oh, I love it. I think there's some words that come to mind. Discernment, hmm. humility, prayer, care for mm. yourself and others, and curiosity. Going back to the be curious, not judgmental. But I really think I want to elevate the self-care piece. I think that Jesus practiced retreating yeah. and resting And so when I think about being a Christian and being online, I think the ways that we weave in rest and care and that we're not always go, go, go outward facing, that we create those spaces to rest and slow down and be still and tune in to listen to that inner voice, the voice of God within us. I think that is what we need as we go out uh, as Christians being in social spaces. Holly K. Oxhandler is the author of The Soul of the Helper. You can get it wherever books are sold. Holly, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Heather. 
So what can we learn from my conversation with Holly Oxhandler? Well, number one, Holly said sometimes we aren't just walking through our present struggle. Sometimes we are also navigating our present struggle. And in the background, there is our past struggles that maybe we have repressed but are coming back to the surface right now. It will require work for you to create space and energy to do the work that healing will require. Contemplative practices can help you navigate that type of work. Number two, create space for stillness and silence and solitude. If you just had a tough conversation that raised your blood pressure, practice deep breathing. Breathe in to a count of four and then exhale to a count of six. This helps you return to the present moment and you can do it anywhere. Just go somewhere by yourself, even if it's a bathroom stall. Breathe in to the count of four and then exhale to the count of six. Number three, Holly says, don't forget to appreciate the gift that is your life. Friend, your life is a gift. Even if it doesn't feel like it at this present moment, breathe in to the count of four, out to the count of six, God made you, you. There's this divine spark within you that Holly says is beyond words. You are made in the image of God. Don't forget to experience the gift that is your own life. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, Thursday, we'll sit down with Kat Armas. I just, I love Kat. She always challenges me spiritually and helps me see the Bible in new ways. You are not going to be disappointed with this conversation. I'll see you next week for another conversation where a viral Jesus guest talks and you and I listen so we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. This episode was brought to you in part by The Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.